All right, good morning, Redemption. My name is Drew Stevenson. For those of you who don't know me and maybe new, and you came on a good week because we are starting a new series in the book of Psalms called Walking with God as a Human Being. Now, the book of Psalms is right in the middle of your Bible. And I think the instructive thing that we're going to see in the book of Psalms is it's going to teach us a counterintuitive way to pursue happiness. And what I mean by counterintuitive is it's going to show us how to balance the truth that we believe as Christians and the feelings that we have. Now, I think as modern Western people, we're pretty good with the truth that we believe, but we don't know what to do with our emotions. And the Psalms are a combination of kind of personal journals that turned into songs. And so they're going to show us how as human beings to express the tension that we feel in our souls between what we think and say we believe and the way that we feel about that. And so Psalm 1 has been called the lobby to the book of Psalms. It's an introduction to the whole book and teaches us how to pursue true happiness. And what we're going to see this morning is that true happiness is found when we are deeply connected to God. So the first thing we're going to look at in the text is how to be unhappy. The text actually starts with a negative. Look with me again at Psalm 1, 1 through 4. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked... Are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. So, the question I had when I first read this text again was why does the text start with a strong negative? Not in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the way of sinners, not sitting in the seat of scoffers. Why doesn't he start off by telling us how to pursue happiness instead of telling us how we get off track? Now, you'll notice that the text begins with the word blessed. That word blessed means happy or fulfilled or satisfied. So he's saying that the first thing you need to understand if you're going to pursue the blessed life, the happy life, the satisfied life, is what not to do. Now, we understand what he's getting at when he talks about the wicked person by the word but that starts verse 2. He contrasts the wicked person with the person whose delight is in 
the law of the Lord. Now, I think that's important to clarify our understanding of what he's talking about when he's talking about the wicked person. Because immediately when you think of wicked, you might think of like the absolute worst people in society from an outward perspective. You might think of like a witch or somebody who's very evil. So you only put very outwardly evil people in the wicked category, and then you put everybody else in the good category. But what the psalmist is getting at is he's saying that the root of wickedness is not outward behavior. The root of wickedness is self-dependence. Wickedness is characterized by seeking to be satisfied in the things of this world, even good things. So when he talks about walking in the counsel of the wicked or standing in the way of sinners or sitting in the seat of scoffers, what he's talking about is depending on the ordinary wisdom of this world. The way to be unhappy is to seek to live by a code or an instruction that is outside of God's word. Anything outside of this book that we lean on to try to find happiness will end up not leading us to happiness. It will end up leading us to soul dissatisfaction. So misery in this world is first not owing to wicked acts, but is owing to disconnected hearts. Think about what characterizes the entire law of God or the entire instruction of God in his word. Jesus summarizes it this way. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think the psalmist has that in his mind, and he's saying, here's the problem. Here is the deepest reason for your unhappiness, and the reason that you're doing wicked things is because you are deeply disconnected, first from your creator, and then from the people around you. So we are people who are starved for God, and we don't even know it. So imagine that you're trying to run a marathon, and you haven't been properly nourished. So you go out, and you're like, I'm going to do this I'm going to run as hard as I can. I'm going to do the best that I, that I possibly can. And you start to, we've all experienced this, doing some kind of athletic activity. I call it bonking, right? You run out of sugar. You run out of the correct nutrients, and your body just starts to collapse. Now, you could say the problem was I just didn't run correctly. I didn't pace myself right or my stride was a little bit off. But that wouldn't get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem is you didn't get the proper nutrition. You were disconnected 
from what gave you the nutrients that you needed to complete the race. The psalmist is saying, the reason for your unhappiness is not primarily what you're doing, it is what your heart is connected to. You were made for God. All of us have so many voices that are competing with God's voice in our mind and are telling us what will make us happy. The psalmist says if we consistently try to find happiness outside of God, we will never find it. Let me read for you, I think, a few of the lies that we believe that seem innocent enough that lead to this misery. You will be happy when you get married. You will be happy when you have kids. You will be happy when you get your dream job. You will be happy on vacation. You escape Minnesota. We especially believe in that one today. <laughs> you will be happy when you own a home and you're not throwing money away at rent. You'll be happy when your car has leather interior. I mean, seriously, some of us, we're living for like the touring edition of the vehicle. We're like, when I get that, my soul will be satisfied. How about for you? What's filling in that blank for you? I will be happy when The counsel of the wicked always fills in the blank with something other than God. And whatever it is that you have in that blank will end up leaving you destitute. You will be like a marathon runner, not without nutrition, but instead of drinking water is eating sand. It'll leave you worse off than you were before. Okay, how to be unhappy? Listen to the ordinary counsel of the world, the counsel of the wicked. You can be happy when blank. So how then, if that's the negative, how do we pursue happiness? Look with me again with a little bit different lens at Psalm 1, 1 through 4 again. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. It says, instead of listening to the counsel of the wicked, the way to find the life of blessedness, of satisfaction, of fulfillment, is to delight yourself in the law of the Lord. Now, for us, when we think of law, we might think of the Ten Commandments. The psalmist has in mind the entire Bible, the entire instruction of God. And he's calling us not to dutifully get through our 15 minutes a day to find happiness, 
not to occasionally open the book because we feel guilty. He says, if you want to find true blessedness, you delight yourself in the word of God. The word of God becomes the place that you go not to assuage your guilty conscience, but to drink from the water of God's word. He says, your life, if that's true of you, will be characterized by meditation. Now, what's true about all of us is we naturally meditate on what we delight in. It's where our minds go when we have nothing else to think about. Psalm says, you want to be happy. You read God's word in such a way and with such delight that it sticks with you the whole day. And when you have a free moment, when you go on a walk or you have a little break at work, your mind goes to the word of God, not because you have to, but because you want to. You're so deeply connected to God. You love him so much. C.S. Lewis said this, and I think this, it definitely applied to his day, but it maybe more applies to our day. He says, we live, in fact, in a world starved for solitude, silence and private, and therefore starved for meditation and true friendship. Do you find yourself deeply unsatisfied in your life? And do you find yourself blaming your circumstances? Okay, here's good news and bad news for you. Your circumstances aren't your problem. It's good news because there's something you can do about it. You can't change your circumstances. It's bad news because you can kind of control some circumstances in your life, or at least it feels that way. What C.S. Lewis is saying, what the psalmist is saying, is what our hearts long for. And the only thing they can be satisfied with is a deep connection with God, a true friendship with God, solitude with God. He then says that it's the Christian life that flows out of this type of relationship with God. Christianity is not an outside-in religion. It's an inside-out relationship. It is a person deeply satisfied in relationship with God, and as a result of being deeply satisfied in relationship with God, they are freed to love others rather than using others. And he describes this type of person. He says, you'll be like a tree planted by streams of water. So you get this image of a tree planted by streams of water, and what's invisible to you is this root system that is going down. And what's also invisible to you is how the tree is getting nourishment from the water. But you know that it's this hidden source of nourishment that has made the tree thrive. He says, if you root yourself down in the word of God, 
there will be a life force flowing through your body called the Holy Spirit who will enliven your spiritual life. And that, in time, in its season, will produce fruit in your life. So the fruit is what nourishes others and also gives purpose to your existence. But if you aim at the fruit, so I'm just going to go out and be a loving person. The psalmist is saying you're never going to produce love. But if you aim at rooting yourself in the word of God and you wait with patience, love will be able to spring up in your life organically. It'll feel like this. One day, you'll be a pretty unloving person. You'll get some time in God's word, and you'll start to root yourself deeper in his word. You'll start to reject the lies of the enemy. You can be happy when blank, and you'll chase after God's word, not because you have to, but because maybe through this sermon or the encouragement of a friend, you start to believe that maybe there's something good for me there. Maybe this could satisfy my soul. You start to drink deeply from God's word, a little bit inconsistently, but more consistently than you did before. You find your identity more deeply rooted in who God says you are, and you start to find yourself satisfied in him. And maybe a year or two later, people in your life start to notice like, hey, you used to be a little bit more grumpy, now you seem a little more joyful. Hey, you, you used to be a little bit more self-focused. Now you're a little bit more service-oriented toward others. Just like in the life of a tree, it happens invisibly, almost imperceptibly, because it's happening organically. And God is calling us into this life because it is a life of deep, satisfaction. So our application is to ask ourselves the question, where is my life rooted? Where am I looking for soul satisfaction? Where have I been disappointed? I may say that my satisfaction and my greatest delight is in my relationship with God, but is it really? Do we need to come back? Do we need to repent? Do we need to turn around once again this week from the things that we've been chasing after and find our joy once again in God? Let me encourage you with this story. I came across this story in my study and learned that the oldest tree in ancient Jerusalem is this tree called Al-Walaja. I'm probably butchering that name. There's a tree that is still standing in Jerusalem that was standing in the time of Jesus. It's 2,000 years old. And here's part of the reason why this tree is still standing. It's an olive tree. It's planted close to a stream. And here's what one writer said about this tree. It has survived the Babylonians, Romans, Byzantines, Crusaders, Ottomans, British, and Israelis, and is likely to outlive the next invaders in the current millennium. 
its mother trunk, old, wrinkly, and wide, with a nine-meter diameter, supports 22 other smaller trunks that have sprouted from its roots. Thus, the ancient mother tree has a total diameter of 25 meters. Mother's olive shade spreads over 250 square meters, enough to accommodate a crowd of several hundred people. Okay, so for 2,000 years, this tree has been imperceptibly growing. And now, in our day, can provide shade for several hundred people. Don't you want your life to be like that? You want to be a person that provides shade for other people. You want to be a person that provides fruit for other people. You want your life to have purpose. You want your life to have meaning. And you want that meaning to be on mission with Jesus loving and caring for other people so that your story can be a story that reflects the glory of Christ. And the only way that's possible is to plant yourself by the stream of God's word. Think about that. Ancient buildings from that period of time may still partly be there, but they're in ruins. They were built with the hands of people. It took so much work and so much labor. That tree did one thing well. It sat by the stream. Let me make Christianity and your sanctification as simple as I possibly can. Just sit by the stream and wait. God will produce the fruit in your life. Drink up the fresh, clear water of God's word. Deny the teachings of our society that say this satisfaction can be found anywhere else. Run to Jesus. Okay, so that's how to be unhappy. Fill in the blank with anything other than God. How to be happy. Plant your life next to the stream of God's word and drink in relationship with him. Now, what does happiness look like if you do that? Now, this might be a little bit surprising because it's more nuanced than you would think. And I'm drawing on this last point, not only from this text, but also from the whole book of Psalms. Look at verses five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, you might expect the text to say, okay, if you pursue happiness in God and you reject the ways of the world, therefore the righteous will flourish in every way in their life. And it's going to be so obvious to everyone else that your life is rooted in God. Or you would also expect it to say, therefore, the wicked will suffer terribly 
for their bad decisions, and those bad decisions will have consequences that you are going to see in this life. But the text says something different than that. It asks us to think not about just the next 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, or 100 years of our life. The psalmist asks us to lift our gaze and see that we are eternal creatures. To not just look at this life. And he's saying, here's the motivation for righteous living. It's not just this life. He says, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. See, there's a great judgment that is coming on the earth. Every knee will bow before King Jesus and we will give an account of our life. And he's saying there are going to be people who stand in that judgment. Not because we're saved by our works, but because when we place our faith in Jesus, we root ourselves in the stream of his word. Fruit is produced in our life. And Jesus himself said, you will know them by their fruit. No fruit, no root, you're not saved. The wicked won't stand in such a judgment. The righteous will stand in this judgment. And then he says this incredible statement, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. See, our motivation for righteous living to do good in this life is not primarily about this life. It is about being known by God. See, your friends, your family, certainly not the world around us, is not going to recognize the wisdom of a life rooted in God's word. In fact, often in our society, you will be mocked for such a life. You will be called a bigot for such a life. You will not be praised among men if you walk long enough according to the word of God. But here's my encouragement to you. The Lord sees. He knows. He sees you kneeling in your room in desperation crying out to him. He sees the way that you serve your family, the way that you love them, the way that you are asking for forgiveness and turning away from the desires of the world. He sees when you own up. You say, that was wrong. That was sin. I need your forgiveness. And he sees when you're at the end of your rope and you ask people in this room for help. See, what the Psalms are going to teach us is not that the happy life, the blessed life, is going to be a carefree life where there is no suffering. What it's going to teach us is that there is a place to go with our emotions when we are seeking to live 
by the truth of God's word, and everything in the world seems to contradict what the word of God is saying. Here's what I mean. This is over and over again in the Psalms. The psalmist constantly coming to God, and they're saying, this makes no sense. My neighbor, who hates God, has more money than I do. His kids are thriving more than my kids are thriving. His marriage seems to be going better than my marriage. His life seems to be more blessed than my life is, and his life seems to be satisfied even though he wants nothing to do with you, God. Here I am, rooted next to the stream, following your word, trying to be obedient to you, and my life is falling apart. Help me make sense of that. So here's what we learn, and we'll continue to learn about walking with God as a human being throughout the Psalms. A tree doesn't just need fresh, clean water. A tree also needs a way to expel the waste. Okay, I did a little research on trees, so ready for a little science lesson here? Hey, did you know that leaves not only soak in sunlight, they also excrete waste material because they have something called stomatal pores. You didn't think you were going to learn about stomatal pores today at church, did you? But basically, leaves both soak in sunlight and excrete waste material. And every living thing that doesn't excrete waste material dies if it doesn't do so. And so what the Psalms are going to teach us is, yes, you need the clean water of God's word, but you also need to unburden the negative emotions in your life. And the Psalms invite us into that type of connection with God. They tell us not only that God is a God of truth, but God is a God of compassion, and that that God of compassion is strong, and that that God of compassion has big, broad shoulders, and he can handle your feelings. So happiness in this world looks like instead of taking your anger out on the people around you, bringing your anger into the presence of God and saying, why God? And in this way, the Psalms point us to Jesus. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? Fully God, divine, perfect, fully human, hanging on the cross. And Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What's he doing? He's looking at the wicked people around the base of the cross and he's saying to himself, look, it looks like they're thriving. It looks like everything's going right for them. It looks like they're winning. I've planted myself by your stream. I've soaked in the goodness of your word. I've walked in obedience to you. 
and I'm here and they're there. Why? Why forsake me? Why do things look so upside down? And so we're brought into the mystery of our salvation through the tension felt in Jesus' soul, which each one of us will feel as we walk with God. So my hope is, as we study through this whole book, next 20 weeks, my hope is that yes, you will learn the truth of God's word in a more deep way, but you'll also learn how to express your emotion to God so that you can have the most happy relationship with him possible, the side of heaven. Let's pray. God, thank you for this realistic songbook, prayer book that is in your word. I think for many of us, if the Psalms weren't in the Bible, we would get the idea that you want us to be robots, that you want us to just believe the truth, recite the catechism, read theology, and not have uh, deep human emotion. So thank you that you invite us not to stuff our emotion, but to express our emotion in your presence and that you're not scared off by that, but that you draw near to those who are brokenhearted. You save those who are crushed in spirit. I pray specifically for those people that that are most uh, aptly feeling that tension in their own soul this morning. They are seeking to live for you, but frankly, it feels right now like it's making their life worse. Would you meet them in that? And Jesus, would you draw near? You are the man of sorrows and acquainted with our grief. In Jesus' name.